We both like to win. We both detested getting beat. The love affairs have had plenty because been with, with some tremendous football clubs. There was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. Welcome to Merseyside Legends, the tales and tapes with John Keith. It was very, very tense. Um, I decided to have the press conferences and uh, interviews on the Thursday, I remember, before before the game, rather than the Friday, because it was too close to the game. You just get the players away and just uh, relax them. And it, it was such an important day. The only fear I had on the day um, was Bolton going down to Chelsea. I felt that um, Chelsea's season was over yeah. and nothing to play for. And that may have helped Bolton. The horizons that opened up for Howard Kendall and Everton after landing three trophies in two seasons, the league title, FA Cup and European Cup Winners' Cup, were almost instantly diminished by the ramifications of the Heysel disaster. Everton's league title win of 1984-85 gained them entry as much-fancied contenders to Europe's biggest competition, only for the door to be slammed shut when English clubs were banned by UEFA following the appalling disaster in Brussels, which cost 39 lives at the European Cup final between Liverpool and Juventus. Kennel's preparations for the new season saw Goodison folk hero Andy Gray sold to Aston Villa for 150000 the fans reacted to his departure with the same degree of shock they greeted Kendall's own departure as a player 11 years earlier. But the income from Gray's transfer helped pay Kendall's £800,000 club record splash to sign Gary Lineker from Leicester, a deal in which Everton would pay an extra £250,000 of any subsequent transfer fee. Well, I sold Andy. Yes. Yeah. Um, Andy had done a tremendous job for us, but... I was sitting with Colin um, on a summer break and we felt that we needed some pace at the front. And Aston Villa inquired about Andy. I don't think he'd have gone anywhere else but Aston Villa, mm. his former club. Yeah. Uh, he loved it so much here. But it just felt the legs were starting to, to go and we, we certainly needed a, a, a pace injection, yeah. certainly away from home. Yeah. And you, Mr Gary Lineker arrived yeah. on the scene, yeah. Yes. And he scored a lot of goals for you. He, he finished scored... double runners up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he had a superb season, but I just felt that the whole balance of the team uh, wasn't right. Although, he, you know, he, he was scoring the goal. Yes, I know what you mean. The likes of Sheedy wasn't scoring, the likes of Trevor Stephen wasn't scoring uh, from the middle of the park. Uh, whereas they, they were in double figures here that we won the league. Yes. You know, and I just felt that his pace, they couldn't catch up with it. So, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was down to a one-man goal-scoring achievement, really. Yes. And I, and I felt that with the team, when we had five players and double figures when we won the league, I thought that the teamwork was, was much better. Yeah. For the start of the 1985-86 campaign, Kendall welcomed back Adrian Heath after a long-term injury had forced him to miss more than half the previous season. He returned to operate just behind the new front two of Lineker and Graham Sharp. But it was a patchy start to Everton's defence of the league title, even though Lineker rattled in six goals in three games in August, five of them headers, to beat Tottenham, Birmingham and Sheffield Wednesday. But the following month, 
a 3-0 crash at Queen's Park Rangers and a 3-2 home defeat by Liverpool set them back. By early November, they were lying 7th in the table with 24 points from 15 games. But by the start of the new year, with Lineker and Sharp popping in the goals, Everton had climbed to 2nd place on goal difference from Kenny Dalglish's Liverpool, both on 47 points. Goodison hopes of retaining their title soared in February, when goals from Lineker and Kevin Ratcliffe gave Everton a 2-0 win at Liverpool, who dropped to 3rd. Despite a succession of injury absences by Kevin Sheedy, Paul Bracewell, Kevin Ratcliffe, Gary Stevens, and Peter Reid, Everton stayed on top until a goalless draw at Manchester United when Liverpool leapfrogged them on goal difference. The intense competition between Merseyside's Big Two reached a new intensity the following weekend when both clubs won their FA Cup semi-finals. Everton 2-1 against Sheffield Wednesday and Liverpool 2-0 against Southampton to set up another Wembley collision. The crunch date in the title battle was Wednesday, April the 30th, when Liverpool won 2-0 at Leicester City, while Everton, for whom Lineker missed a trio of one-on-one -on -one chances, lost 1-0 at Oxford United to a Les Phillips goal two minutes from the end. That defeat only their second of the calendar year, took the title destiny out of Everton's hands. And although they won their remaining two games, Liverpool's away wins at Leicester and Chelsea secured the title with 88 points from 42 games, two ahead of Everton. And Kendall and his team were destined to be double runners-up because despite holding a 1-0 interval lead given them by Gary Lineker in the FA Cup final, they lost to three second-half goals scored by Ian Rush with a brace and Craig Johnston. Just as in the previous season's League Cup final, when he rejected Everton's penalty claims for handling by Alan Hansen, Referee Alan Robinson turned down Everton's appeal at nil-nil for a foul by Steve Nicholl on Graham Sharp. So the season had ended in knowing frustration for Kendall, who reflected on it thus. Yeah, it was even more disappointing that we missed out on the double with, uh, with Liverpool. Um, you know, apart from two games, one league game and one FA Cup final, we would have won the double ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it was disappointing. It was a, it was a different type of season to the side of the, t the, the season when we won the championship, uh, because Gary came in and scored a tremendous number of goals, and the other players really uh, suffered in that way because they, they were consistent goal scorers the season before. Uh, I elected when when the big offer came in from Barcelona. Um, you know, I suggested that we take the, the money and we revert back to the system that we had when we, we did in fact win the championship. By the time the Charity Shield curtain raiser to the 1986-87 season against Liverpool at Wembley was staged in mid-August, Everton had already said goodbye to Gary Lineker, who, after a Dixie Dean-like output of 40 goals in 57 games, was sold to Barcelona for £2.75 million. But they were also without seven injured players, Neville Southall, Neil Poynton, Pat Van Den Howe, Gary Stevens, Derek Manfield, Peter Reid and Paul Bracewell. Yet they held champions Liverpool to a 1-1 draw for a share of the shield, a signpost to what the new league campaign would hold for Kendall's battling side. 
Despite the fact that Southall was out until late October, Reid until January, Vandenhoe until February, Kevin Sheedy and Graham Sharp each out for three months later in the season, Kendall's squad battled through to one of the greatest and most unexpected of title triumphs. And squad was the key word. Players who'd been occasional understudies stepped up to perform brilliantly. Versatile Alan Harper making 36 league appearances and scoring three goals. Striker Paul Wilkinson, 22 appearances and three goals. And 22-year-old midfielder Kevin Langley, a £100,000 pre-season signing from Wigan, making 16 appearances, scoring two goals. A major Kendall signing was former Liverpool reserve centre-back Dave Watson, who arrived at the start of the season in a club record £900,000 move from Norwich. He also bought winger Neil Adams from Stoke City for £150,000 and Manchester City captain Paul Power, approaching his 34th birthday, was recruited for £65,000 after making 437 City appearances as a midfielder. But it was at left-back that he was pitched in by Kendall and impressed everyone with his performances and professionalism. People questioned, you know, um, that there were, you know, maybe Paul Power came in, didn't he? And he did a great job for you. Magnificent, Paul. Yeah. Um, I, I watched him very closely and still felt he had the legs, um, the fitness to cope at the top level for a couple of seasons. Um, when, I, when I spoke to John Bond, at Manchester City, um, we agreed a fee, and he says, you know what, he says, he's the, the one player that clubs come in for every summer. And this is Kendall reflecting on his swoop for Watson. It was £900,000 from Norwich, and I remember Ken Brown, the manager at Norwich, saying when I, when I was making the offers and we eventually came to a, an agreement, uh, it's like cutting off my right arm, mm. um, because he was a great leader, uh, led by example, and I decided with the problems that Derek Mountfield had at the time mm -hmm. with injuries, I couldn't go into the season really without an established centre-half. This is the Everton lineup that opened the 1986-87 season with a 2-0 home win over Nottingham Forest. Bobby Mims in goal, a back four of Alan Harper, Kevin Ratcliffe, debutant Dave Watson and Paul Power, a midfield quartet of Trevor Stephen, Kevin Langley, Kevin Richardson, who went off injured never to play for Everton again, with Kevin Sheedy on the left, and a front two of Adrian Heath and Graham Sharp, with lone substitute Wilkinson replacing Richardson. Two brilliant goals from Sheedy gave Everton victory. Harper. Now Stephen. He's got away from Pierce. Well, Langley's header, Sheedy. It was just too hot to handle. Langley's knocked down, Sheedy's volley, 1 0 Everton. Langley. This comes in, he's beaten Fleming, Sheedy. The trusty left foot comes good again. Beat Fleming's jump and Sheedy's finish superb.
and Sheedy's ability was saluted by former Everton fullback and reserve team coach Terry Darricott. He was always taking the mickey sheets in a quiet type of way, but an absolute a brilliant footballer. He was one that had a left foot and used to say he could open a can of peas, you know. And he must have created so many goals, as well as the goals he scored, he must have created a tremendous amount of goals. I'd love to know his record of assists, you know. Um, we obviously know the goals he scored, but he was, um, he was a brilliant player. Everton drew their next two games, 2-2 at Sheffield Wednesday and 1-1 at Coventry City when Neil Adams made his league debut before a 3-1 home win over Oxford United was followed by a disappointing goalless home clash with Queen's Park Rangers. But a 2-1 win at Wimbledon lifted Everton into third place on 12 points, one behind leaders Nottingham Forest and Liverpool but Kendall's side were now the only unbeaten team in the top flight. They did lose their next game, a 3-1 home defeat by Liverpool in the first leg of the final of the much-unloved Screen Sports Super Cup, which had hung over from the previous season after being devised for teams who had lost out on European football due to the UEFA ban. Everton lost the return leg at Anfield too, 4-1 to make the aggregate 7-2 but the respective attendances of 20,000 and 26,000 indicated that the games were not high on the Richter scale of public interest and the competition was never revived. Everton's unbeaten league record ended with a 2-0 defeat at Tottenham, the first of three successive league defeats losing 1-0 at home to Arsenal and 3-2 at Charlton when Heath's return from ankle damage meant Wilkinson dropping to the bench four days after scoring a League Cup hat-trick against Newport. Everton responded with wins at Southampton 2-0 and home to Watford 3-2 only to lose 1-0 at West Ham before being held 2-2 at Goodison by Chelsea. Everton had now dropped to 8th and the championship seemed a long way away. But it was to prove the low point of Everton's season. Although they lost 1-0 at home to Liverpool in the League Cup quarter-final and 3-1 at Wimbledon in the FA Cup fifth round, Everton strung together a run of only one defeat in 12 league games through to January. And from then on, were never out of the top two, once again head-to-head -head with Liverpool for the title. They went top for the first time that season with a 3-1 home win over Coventry, as described here. Gary Stevens, good progress here, deflected in. Gary Stevens has levelled it up for Everton. Here's Reid. Now Stephen again. Reed queuing up in there. Oh, was that handball? It was Dave Bennett. Well, Trevor Peake leading the Coventry protests. They feel that it couldn't have been intentional. So, Trevor Stephen and Everton take the lead. Emphatically dispatched. Coventry agreed, but they are behind. Stephen, can he get the shot away? He can. It's Watson. He retrieved by Harper. Heath. That'll do. 
Adrian Heath with a goal that will surely put Everton top tonight. The question now, can they stay there? Yes, they could stay there. And Kendall won another battle with Liverpool to sign Ian Snodin, who arrived for £840,000 from Leeds United in January to reinforce Everton's midfield. Kenny Dalglish also wanted to sign him for Liverpool, but after talks with both managers, Snodin opted for Everton, much to Kendall's delight. Well, I thought he was an exceptional player, and I was well aware of Liverpool's interest. And when we had the meeting with Ian, I said to him I, w I wanted him to play centre midfield. Kenny Dalglish, who was manager of Liverpool at the time, had uh, said to him I want him to play wide right. And I think that that, that clinched it actually, because I think Ian thought of himself as a centre midfield player, um, or even when I first saw him, Ed Doncaster was a sweeper at the back. Um, he ended up here playing right full back. And unfortunately, the injuries that he picked up meant he, uh, he finished prematurely. Arsenal were also in the hunt for the title, but Wayne Clark, signed by Kendall for £500,000 from Birmingham in March, shot down the Gunners at Highbury with a superb 30-yard goal on his fourth appearance to secure a 1-0 win, described here in glowing terms. Rowcastle. That's cut out. Well, Lukic has decided to come and deal with this. Could be problems here, it's Clark. That is a fantastic finish by Wayne Clark. What a wonderful way to open his account for Everton. And what a crucial goal it could be in the championship race. The quick thinking of a natural goal scorer. John Lukic with the error. Wayne Clark returned it with interest. That win meant that second-placed Everton had slashed the gap on Liverpool from nine points to three in ten days and had two games in hand. Goals from Watson and Harper then gave Everton a 2-0 win at Chelsea, which put them back on top on goal difference from Liverpool. And they won the next three games without conceding a goal. 4-0 at home to West Ham, 1-0 at Aston Villa and 3-0 at home to Newcastle. With Clark again showing his finishing prowess with a second half hat-trick in a side shorn of injured Sharp, Sheedy and Reed. The latter pair returned for Everton's next engagement, the short trip to Anfield. But it was Liverpool who came out 3-1 winners to leave the top of the table reading Everton played 38, points 76, goal difference 41. Liverpool played 39, points 73, goal difference 30. With Sharp still out and Sheedy again absent through injury, Everton played out a goalless home draw with Manchester City, but Liverpool's defeat at Coventry meant that Kendall's side now had a four-point lead and were within touching distance of a notable title triumph. It was duly delivered 48 hours later with a 1-0 win at Norwich, the goal scored in the opening minute by Pat van den Howe to spark blue celebrations and Kendall delight in East Anglia. Ball back for Van den Howe. The priceless breakthrough comes. Might reach Rosario. Oh. Oh, an opportunity. Nervous moments here. 
And Southall and Power in a bit of confusion here. And David Phillips can't pick up the scraps. Everton's day, their ninth title. I'm absolutely delighted, really. I mean, it's been tremendously satisfying to, to win the championship again. I've been narrowly missing out last season. And even better for taking from Liverpool. We don't mind who you take championships off. Um, I say that, I mean, our fans were desperately disappointed we missed out on the league championship and the FA Cup last season to Liverpool. And uh, we've, we've reversed it this season. If the goal came quickly, Everton's journey home was anything but, as Graham Sharp revealed. I always remember coming onto the bus uh, afterwards and, and Terry Darricott, who was our assistant at the time, said to the driver, make sure you don't go over 50 mile an hour. And Norwich in those days was a heck of a journey, like five hours, whatever. Uh, I think the journey ended up about eight hours or something. We took our time, came back, maybe stopped off a few times at uh, local hostelries and enjoyed the atmosphere there. But a fantastic trip back because when you look at the two championship winning sides, I think everybody could name the first championship winning sides, the team won the Cup Winners' Cup final. Uh, but when you, you talk about the second championship, it was more of a squad effort. We had a lot of injuries. Uh, Howard bought players in who'd done fantastically well for us. Uh, so it was more of a squad effort the second, the second time around, but uh, it certainly was a momentous trip home from Norwich. It wasn't far enough, to be honest with you. And the, the coach went too fast for most of us. I kept telling the driver to slow down and uh, you know and <laughs> take the sights in and that you know we didn't want to get back too early because it was such a lovely journey back you know and uh, there's a lot of entertainment going on uh, a few bevies and to be fair everyone was there I, I went down I thought I was going down because he was taking extra kit with them because I was the reserve team coach again but I was going down as, a, as part of the staff and uh, hopefully to enjoy what would be a great occasion and it certainly turned out that way but on the coach going back uh, everybody was there, all the, all the coaching staff the medical staff, the chairman uh, Sir Philip Carter the secretary Jim Greenwood and it was just brilliant it was brilliant that they were all there to enjoy this journey back you know and if you can't enjoy yourself after winning the championship then it's a sad state of affairs you know I know we're all different they're all different, um, some enjoy it in a different way, but um, it was a sing-song and a few jokes and a few t stories and that, you know. It was about five and a half hours and uh, I don't think I made Birmingham. A <laughs> um, little bit of a, a sing-song on the way home with uh, Teddy Darricott being the DJ and inviting people up and it, it was great because he sort of got on the mic and introduced everybody and asking people to come up but he was he, he was calling it champion radio and it, it was it was so funny and I think them things live with you more than things that happened in the match you remember them type of things traveling home on the bus than you do actually um, you know playing the game best coach journey I've ever had I tell you what Teddy Darricott was an absolute star on that coach all the way home he made everybody get up and do a turn on the on the mic like so even people like Pat Van Den Hout, who you know was would not entertain that sort of uh, promoting himself in front of everybody else. He'd, he'd entertain himself in other ways, like but probably more quietly, you know. But he had to get up and sing, and everybody. Uh, it was a fantastic journey home, like you know, and uh, all down to Terry. Coach Terry Darricott, Captain Kevin Ratcliffe, and Paul Power picked up the theme.
I think that's what made us such a good side is because we were a team that could mix our game. If people wanted to have a battle against us, we'd have a battle against them. Um, if they'd let us play football, we'd play football. And I think that's what's so good about the, the side right the way through, um, that we could mix, mix and match. The Championship Trophy was presented to Ratcliffe the following Saturday at Everton's 3-1 home win over Luton Town when two penalties from Trevor Stephen took him to 14 league goals as top scorer. The other scored by Sharp, whose season had been interrupted by a 14-game absence with ankle damage. Here's commentary on Ratcliffe receiving the biggest prize in English football. Well, 22 teams dreamed of it in August. Maybe no more than half a dozen thought it was realistically possible, but only one team can enjoy this moment. Kevin Ratcliffe, as he did two years ago, will lead his team forward. Two trophies this year. Bobby Robson, the England manager there, will present the Today League sponsor's memento. But the trophy on the right is the one that everybody's interested in. Philip Carter, the Football League chairman, will enjoy this moment more than most. Everton Football Club are the kings of English football. Everton completed their triumphant season with a 1-0 home win over Tottenham. So for the second time in three seasons, Everton had been crowned champions, extending Merseyside's league title monopoly to six successive seasons. Adopting the old showbiz adage of keeping them smiling when you say goodbye, Kendall left on a high that summer of 1987 to take up the foreign challenge of managing Athletic Bilbao before returning to take charge of Manchester City in 1989. He was back as Everton manager for three years from November 1990 to December 1993, prior to spells in charge of Greek club Janty, Notts County and Sheffield United, before returning for a third stint as Everton boss for the 1997-98 season. But after beating relegation on the last day on goal difference with a 1-1 home draw against Coventry City, Kendall left for a four-month stint in charge of another Greek club, Ethnikos of Piraeus. Here's Howard talking about his football journey after the glories of the mid-1980s with Everton. And then at the end of that season, I think you'd spoken about it to the chairman, um, you decided that the, the lure of Europe and the lack of European football, a new challenge, you, um, you left Everton and went to Spain. Yeah, yeah. The I Basque mean, I, country. I did. Athletic, um, athletic Bilbao. That's right, that's right. Uh, they only have Basque players, I think that's well known now, nowadays. Um, they, they were very low in the league, um, so there was no real pressure on as if you were going to Real Madrid or Barcelona to win the league when you, when you went there. Um, and I just felt it was a, a, new, a new challenge. Yes. And then after that um, life in Spain, you came back to Manchester City and then in November 1990, Colin Harvey sadly um, departed as manager and you were back at Goodison again. It was just too great uh, an opportunity to turn down again, John. It was a lovely phrase you used. I know, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I meant the it that way was, as well. The phrase was? Well, Manchester City was like a... What was it? This is like a... was like a wedding. And this is... No, was it? Manchester City right. was like an affair, affair. but this is a marriage. That's is that right? That's right. right. Everton's yeah. a marriage, that's yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and you were back, and then you were, Colin was back as well with you within a couple of days of leaving as manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, in, all, in all honesty, I mean, I did, I did ask Peter Reid to come uh, with me from Manchester City. We worked well together. Mm -hmm. uh, Reedy says, well, if I'm offered the job here, uh, I'll stay here. Yeah. And they did. They offered him the job. And the only person I could think of was, was Colin. Yeah. And then you caught us all on the hop in December 93 uh, over Dion Dublin. You mm. resigned. Well, it's a, it's a little bit like the present day, isn't it? But, you know, if if reports in newspapers are, are, are correct, the likes of Alan Kirbishley um, and Kevin Keegan leaving, um, I just felt that we had the money to buy Dion Dublin. I'd agreed to deal with Alex Ferguson. And... I got a telephone call from the chairman uh, the following morning that the board didn't like the deal. And I thought about it. And I thought, well, we got Coventry on Saturday, I think it was, uh, at home. I thought, this is my last one. You were playing in Southampton, weren't you? Was it Southampton, yeah. was it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I'm no longer the manager of this football club. Mm. And it's, it's amazing. It's happening now. Yes. You know, they're bringing these directors of football in, into it, and, and they're interfering. Yeah. And it's it's creating a big problem for managers. And you had you came back again for a third time. Then after um, after you'd been there till 1992, you went to you went to Xanthi in Greece, Notts County, Sheffield United. But in June '97, you were back at Everton a third time. And Peter Johnson was, of course, there then. And, um, well, what a last day it was because uh, relegation was beckoning, wasn't it? What a, what a hair-raising day for Evertonians that was against uh, Coventry. I'm so pleased we're not talking about that, John. You know, most successful one, but um, involved well, in a relegation as well. But, oh, it was very, very tense. Um, I decided to have the press conferences and uh, interviews on the Thursday. I remember. Before before the game, rather than the Friday, because it was too close to the game. You just get the players away and just uh, relax them. And it, it was such an important day. The only fear I had on the day um, was Bolton going down to Chelsea. I felt that um, Chelsea's season was over yeah. and nothing to play for. And that may have helped Bolton. But, um, but Chelsea... But the outcome was you drew 1-1, yeah. all kinds of things happened. Dion Dublin, actually, <laughs> yeah, of did, all yeah. people, headed yeah. an equaliser, and you stayed up on goal difference from Bolton. Um, and then it was to Ethnikos Piraeus in Greece for a short time. Yeah. And now, now of course, you're, um, you've got your Liverpool Echo column you do regularly, and you're also, after dinner, speaking out as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, uh, it gets you out. and uh, The Liverpool Echo column is... Uh, it, very good for me because I get to all the home games and they, they like me to talk about what's happening at Everton. Of course. Um, they, they, they have to do the speaking. I mean, you're very, very nervous at the start. Uh, still are sometimes, but um, you get used to it. After ending the day-to-day -day activity of football management, Howard lived happily in Formby with his second wife, Lil, prior to his death in October 2015, aged 69. His funeral cortege stopping the traffic on the way to Liverpool's Anglican Cathedral, such were the crowds massing to pay tribute to him. Howard, as a person and a player, always had style, and his playing and managerial record stands as a testimony to his stature in the game. He made a total of 721 appearances, scoring 80 goals for five clubs, 
and was in charge of 783 games as manager or player manager of five English clubs. He is included in the English Football Hall of Fame, the League Managers Association Hall of Fame and remains the last English manager to win a UEFA competition with an English club. Football will never forget Howard Kendall and I feel privileged to have known him.